0: Section 6 of The Conjure Woman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Section 6 of The Conjure Woman by Charles Waddell Chestnut. The Gray Wolf's Haunt. IT WAS A RAINY DAY AT THE VINEYARD. THE MORNING HAD DAWNED BRIGHT AND CLEAR. BUT THE SKY HAD SOON CLOUDED, AND BY NINE O'CLOCK THERE WAS A LIGHT SHOWER, FOLLOWED BY OTHERS AT BRIEF INTERVALS. BY NOON THE RAIN HAD SETTLED INTO A DULL, STEADY DOWNPOUR. THE CLOUDS HUNG LOW, AND SEEMED TO GROW DENSER, INSTEAD OF LIGHTER, AS THEY DISCHARGED THEIR WATERY BURDEN, AND THERE WAS NOW AND THEN A MUTTERING OF DISTANT THUNDER, Outdoor work was suspended, and I spent most of the day at the house, looking over my accounts and bringing up some arrears of correspondence. Towards four o'clock, I went out on the piazza, which was broad and dry, and less gloomy than the interior of the house, and composed myself for a quiet smoke. I had lit my cigar, and opened the volume I was reading at that time, when my wife whom i had left dozing on a lounge came out and took a rocking chair near me i wish you would talk to me or read to me or something she exclaimed petulantly it's awfully dull here to-day i'll read to you with pleasure i replied and began at the point where i had found my bookmark The difficulty of dealing with transformations so many-sided as those which all existences have undergone, or are undergoing, is such as to make a complete and deductive interpretation almost hopeless. So to grasp the total process of redistribution of matter and motion, as to see simultaneously its several necessary results in their actual interdependence, is scarcely possible. There is, however, a mode of rendering the process as a whole tolerably comprehensible. Though the genesis of the rearrangement of every evolving aggregate is in itself one, it presents to our intelligence, John, interrupted my wife, I wish you would stop reading that nonsense and see who that is coming up the lane. I closed my book with a sigh. I had never been able to interest my wife in the study of philosophy, even when presented in the simplest and most lucid form. Someone was coming up the lane, at least a huge faded cotton umbrella was making progress toward the house, and beneath it a pair of nether extremities in trousers was discernible. Any doubt in my mind as to whose they were was soon resolved when julius reached the steps and putting the umbrella down got a good dash of the rain as he stepped up on the porch why in the world julius i asked didn't you keep the umbrella up until you got under cover it's bad luck sir to raise a umbrella in the house and while i don't know whether it's bad luck to care one into the piazza and no. i allows it's all as best to be on the safe side I didn't s'pose you and young missus ud be going on your drive to-day, but being as it's my part to take ye if ye does, I lied I'd report for duty, and let you say whether or know you wants to go.' "'I'm glad you came, Julius,' I responded. "'We don't want to go driving, of course, in the rain, but I should like to consult you about another matter. "'I'm thinking of taking in a piece of new ground.' What do you imagine it would cost to have that neck of woods down by the swamp cleared up? The old man's countenance assumed an expression of unwanted seriousness, and he shook his head doubtfully. I don't know about that, sir. It might cost more, and it might cost less, as far as money is concerned. I ain't denying you could clear up that track of land for a hundred or a couple of hundred dollars, if you wants to clear it up. BUT IF THAT IS MY TRACK OF LAND, I WOULDN'T DISTURB IT. NO, SIR, I WOULDN'T. SHOWS YOU BARN, I WOULDN'T. BUT WHY NOT? I ASKED. IT AIN'T fittin' FOR GRAPES, FOR NEW GROUND NEVER IS. I KNOW IT, BUT IT AIN'T NO yestly GOOD FOR COTTON, CAUSE IT'S TOO LOW. PERHAPS, BUT IT WILL RAISE SPLENDID CORN. I DON'T KNOW rejoined julius deprecatorially it's so near the swamp that the coons'll eat up all the corn i think i'll risk it i answered well sir said julius i wishes you much joy o' your job if you has bad luck or sickness or trouble or any kind don't blame me you can't say old julius didn't warn you warn him of what uncle julius asked my wife but the bad luck what follows folks what stoves that track o' land. "'There's is snakes and scorpions in them woods, and if you manages to escape the paws an animals, you is just bound to have a haunt to settle wid, if you don't have two. Whose haunt? My wife demanded with growing interest. The grey wolf's haunt, some folks calls it, but I knows better. Tell us about it, Uncle Julius said. My wife. A story will be a godsend to-day. It was not difficult to induce the old man to tell a story, if he were in a reminiscent mood. Of tales of the old slavery days he seemed indeed to possess an exhaustless store, some weirdly grotesque, some broadly humorous, some bearing the stamp of truth, faint perhaps, but still discernible, others palpable inventions, whether his own or not we never knew, though his fancy doubtless embellished them but even the wildest was not without an element of pathos the tragedy it might be of the story itself the shadow never absent of slavery and of ignorance the sadness always of life as seen by the fading light of an old man's memory way back yonder before the woe began julius Old Master Dougal McAdoo used to own a nigger named Dan. Dan was big and strong and hearty and peaceable and good-natured most of the time, but dangerous to aggravate. He always done his task and never had no trouble with the white folks. But woe be unto a nigger what loud he could fool with Dan, for he was most sure to get a good lambin. Soon as everybody found Dan out, they didn't many of them tempt to disturb him. The one that did would a wish he hadn't, if he could have lived long enough to do any wishing. It all happened this way There was a conjure man who lived over to the other side of the Lumberton Road. He had been the only conjur doctor in the neighborhood for long this many years, till old Aunt Peggy sought up in the business down by the Wimbledon Road. This conjure man had a son would lived with him, and it was this year's son but got mixed up with Dan, and all about a woman. There was a gal on the plantation named Mahaley. She was a monstrous, likely gal, tall and supple, with big eyes and a small foot, and a lively tongue, and when Dan took to going with her, everybody allowed they was well matched, and none of the other nigger men on the plantation dares to go near, for they was all feared o' Dan. Now, it happened that this here conjure Man's son was goin' along the road one day when who should come past but Mahaley. And the minute this man sought eye on Mahaley, he lowed he was going to have her for herself. He come upside of her, and minced to talk to her, but she didn't pay no attention to him, for she was studdin' by Dan, and she didn't like this nigger's looks nohow. So when she got to where she was going, this here man wasn't no further along than he was when he started course after he had made up his mind for to git Mahaley, he commenced to acquire round and soon found out all about dan and what a dangerous nigger he was but this man allowed his daddy was a conjure man and so he come out all right in the end and he kept right after Mahaley. meanwhile dan's master had said they could get mad if they want and so dan and Mahaley had took up with one another and was living in a cabin by themselves and was just rop up in one another. But this here conjurman's son didn't appear to mind Dan's taking up with Mahaley, and he kept on hanging round just the same, till finally one day Mahaley says to Dan, says she, "I wish you'd do something to stop that free nigger man from following me round. I don't like him nohow, and I ain't got no time for the waste with no man but you." Course Dan got mad when he heard about this man pestering Mahaley, and the next night. When he see this nigger comin' along the road, he up and ax him what he mean by hanging round his woman. The man didn't respond to suit, Dan, and one word led to another, till by and by this conjur man's son pull out a knife and started to stick it in, Dan. But before he could get it drawed good, Dan haul off and hit him in the head so hard that he never got up. Dan loud he come to after a while and go along by the business, so he went off and left him layin' there on the ground. The next morning, the man was found dead. There was a great murration made about it, but Dan didn't say nothing, and none of the other niggers hadn't seen the fight, so there wasn't no way to tell who done the killin'. And being as it was a free nigger, and they wasn't no white folks specially interested, they wasn't nothing done about it. And the conjurman come and took his son and carried him away and buried him. Now Dan hadn't meant to kill this nigger, and whilst he knowed the man hadn't got no more than he deserved. Dan commenced to worry more or less, for he knowed this man's daddy would work his roots and probably find out who'd killed his son and make all the trouble for him he could. And Dan kept on studying by this till he got so he didn't hardly dare to eat or drink for fear this conjurman had poisoned the bitters of the water. Finally, he allowed he'd go to see Aunt Peggy, the new conjure woman, would have moved down by the Wilmington Road, and ask her for to do something to protect him from this conjure man "'so he took a peck of taters and went down to a cabin one night. "'Aunt Peggy hid his tail, and then says she, "'That conjurman man is than twice as old as I is, "'and he can make monstrous, powerful goofer. "'What you needs is a life charm, and I'll make you one tomorrow. "'It's the only thing what will do you any good. "'You leave me a couple of hairs from your head "'and fetch me a pig tomorrow night for the roast, "'and when you come i'll have the charm all ready for you so dan went down to aunt peggy the next night with a young shoot, and aunt peggy gun him the charm she had took the hairs dan had left with her in a piece of red flannel, and some roots and yerbs and had put em in a little bag made out of coon skin. you take this charm says she and put it in a bottle or a tin box and bury it deep under the root of a live oak tree and as long as it stays there safe and sound, there ain't no poison can poison you. There ain't no rattlesnake can bite you. There ain't no scorpion can sting you. This here conjure man might do one thing or another to you, but he can't kill you. So you need to be at all scared, but go long bout your business and don't bother your mind. So Dan went down by the river, and way up on the bank he buried the charm deep under the root of a live oak tree and covered it up and stomped the dirt down and scattered leaves over the spot, and then went home with his mind easy. Sure enough, this year conjurman worked his roots, just as Dan had expected he would, and soon learned who killed his son. And cause he made up his mind for to get even with Dan, so he sought a rattlesnake for to sting him. But the rattlesnake say the nigger's heels was so hard he couldn't get his sting in. Den he sent his jaybird for to put poison in Dan's vittles, but the poison didn't work. Then the conjurman loud he double Dan all up with the rheumatiz so he couldn't get his hand to his mouth to eat and would have to starve to death. But Dan went to Aunt Peggy and she got him a auntman to cure the rheumatiz. Then the conjurman loud he'd burn Dan up with a fever, but Aunt Peggy told him how to make some yerb tea for that. Nothing this man tried would kill Dan, so finally the conjure man allowed Dan must have a life charm. Now this here jaybird the conjure man had was a monstrous smart critter. In fact, the niggers loud he was the old devil hisself, just sittin' round waiting to carry this old man away when he rushed the end of his rope. The conjure man sought this jaybird for to watch Dan and find out where he kept his charm. The jay hung round Dan for a week or so and one day he see Dan go down by the river and look at a live oak tree and then the jay went back to his master and told him he speck the nigger kept his life charm under that tree. The conjurman laughed and laughed and he put on his biggest pot and filled it with his strongest roots and bowl it and bowl it till by and by the wind blowed and blowed till it blowed down the live oak tree. Then he stirred some more roots in the pot, and it rained and rained till the water run down the river bank and washed Dan's life charm into the river, and the bottle went bobbing down the current just as unconcerned as if it wasn't taking Po Dan's chances all along with it. And then the man laughed some more, and lied to himself that he was going to fix Dan now. Sure enough, he wasn't going to kill him just yet, for he could do something to him what would hurt worse than killing. So this conjure man commenced a going up to Dan's cabin every night and taking Dan out in his sleep and ridin' him round the roads and fields over the rough ground. In the morning Dan would be as tired as if he hadn't been to sleep. This kind of thing kept up for a week or so and Dan had just about made up his mind for to go and see Aunt Peggy again when who should it come across going along the road one day toward sundown but is he a conjure man? Dan felt kind of scared at first, but then he remembered about his life charm, which he hadn't been to see for a week or so, and loud was safe and sound under the live oak tree. And so he held up his head and walked long, just like he didn't care nothing about this man no more than any other nigger. When he got close to the conjurman, man, this conjure man says, says he, "'Hi there, brother Dan. I hope you're well.' "'When Dan seed the conjurman was in a good humor "'and didn't peer to bear no malice, "'Dan loud maybe the conjurman hadn't found out who killed his son. "'And so he determined for to let on like he didn't know nothin', "'and so says he, "'Hi there, Uncle Jube.' "'This old conjurman's name was Jube. "'I's pretty well, thank you. "'How's you feelin' this morning?' "'I's feeling as well as old nigger could feel "'what had lost his only son,' and his main dependence in his old age. But then my son was a bad boy, says he, and I couldn't spec nothing else. I tried to learn him to air his ways, and make him go to church and prayer-meeting, but it wasn't no use. I don't know who killed him, and I don't want to know, If I'd be most sure to find out that my boy had started the fuss. If I'd had a son like you, brother Dan, I'd have been a proud nigger, Oh, yes, I would. Shows you born. But you ain't looking as well as you ought to, brother Dan. There's something the matter with you. And what's more, I spec you don't know what it is. Now, this here kind of talk naturally throw Dan off on his guard. And first thing he knowed, he was talking to this old conjurman man just like he was one of his best friends. He told him all about not feeling well in the morning and asked him if he could tell what was the matter with him. "'Yes,' says the conjure-man. "'There's a witch been riding you right along. "'I can see the marks of the bridle on your mouth. "'And I'll just bet your back is raw where she been beating you.' "'Yes,' responded Dan. "'So it is.' "'He hadn't noticed it before, "'but now he felt just like the hide had been took off of him. "'And your thighs is just raw where the spurs has been driving in you,' "'says the conjure-man. "'You can't see the raw spots.' "'but you can feel him.' "'Oh, yes,' louss Dan. "'They does hurt powerful bad.' "'And what's more,' says the man, coming up close to Dan and whisperin' in his ear, "'I knows who it is been ridin' you.' "'Who is it?' asks Dan. "'Tell me who it is.' "'It's a old nigger woman down by Rockfish Creek. "'She had a pet rabbit, and you caught him one day, "'and she's been squaring up with you ever since.' But you better stop her, as she'll be rid to death in a month or so. No, says Dan, she can't kill me, sure. I don't know how that is, said the conjure man, but she can make your life mighty miserable. If I was in your place, I'd stop her right off. But how is I going to stop her, asks Dan. I don't know nothing about stopping witches. Look here, Dan, says the other. You was a good young man i likes you monstrous well In fact i feels like some of these days i might buy you from your massa if i could ever make money enough at my business these hard times and adopt you for my son i likes you so well that i'm going to help you get rid of this here witch for good and all for just as long as she lives you is sure to have trouble and trouble and more trouble you is the best friend i got Uncle jube says dan and I'll member your kindness to my dying day. Tell me how I can get rid of this here old witch what's been riding me so hard. In the first place, says the conjure man, this old witch never comes in her own shape, but every night at ten o'clock she turns herself into a black cat and runs down to your cabin and bridles you and mounts you and drives you out through the chimney and rides you over the roughest places she can find. All you got to do is to set for her in the bushes side your cabin and hit her in the head with a rock or a lighted knot when she goes past. But, says Dan, how can I see her in the dark? And s'posin' I hits her and misses her, or supposing I just wounds her and she gets away, what's she goin' to do to me then? I's done studied about all them things, says the conjure man, and it pears to me the best plan for you to follow is to lemme turn you to some creature, what can see in the dark, and what can run just as fast as a cat, and what can bite, and bite for the kill. And then you won't have to have no trouble after the job is done. I don't know whether you like that or not, but that is the showest way. I don't care, spawn Dan. I'd just as lie be anything for a an hour or so, if I can kill that old witch. You can do just what you a mind to. All right, then, "'says the conjurman, "'You come down to my cabin "'at half-past nine o'clock tonight "'and I'll fix you up.' "'Now this conjurman, "'when he had got through talking with Dan, kept on down the road along the side of the plantation "'till he met Mahaley "'comin' home from work just at the sundown. "'How'd it do, ma'am?' says he. "'Is your name Sister Mahaley, "'what belongs to Mars Macadoo?" "'Yes,' responds Mahaley. "'That's my name.' and i belongs to Mars Dougal. well says he your husband dan was down by my cabin this evenin and he got bit by a spider or somethin and his foot is swole up so he can't walk and he axed me for to find you and fetch you down there to help him home cause my haley want to see what had happened to dan and so she started down the road with the man. as soon as he got her into his cabin he shut the door and sprinkle some goofer mixture on her, and turn her to a black cat. Then he took and put her in a barrel, and put a board on the barrel, and a rock on the board, and left her there till he got good and ready for the user. Long about half past nine o'clock, Dan come down to the conjurman's cabin. It was a warm night, and the door was standing open. The conjurman advised Dan to come in, and pass the time of day with him. As soon as Dan commenced talking, he heard a cat meowing and scratching and going on at a terrible rate. What's all that fuss about? asked Dan. Oh, that ain't nothing but my old gray tomcat," says the man. I has to shut him up sometimes for to keep him in nights, and cause he don't like it. Now, lows the man, let me tell you just what you has got to do. When you catches this witch, you must take her right by the throat and bite her right through the neck. Be sure your teeth goes through at the first bite, and then you won't never be bothered no more by that witch. And when you get done, come back here, and I'll turn you to yourself again, so you can go home and get your night's rest. Then the conjurman gunned Dan something nice and sweet to drink out in a new gourd, and in about a minute Dan found himself turned to a gray wolf, and soon as he felt all four his new feet on the ground, he started off fast as he could for his own cabin, so he could be sure and be there time enough to catch the witch and put her in to her carrying own. As soon as Dan was gone good, the conjurman took the rock off in the board and the board off in the bearer, and out let Mahaley and started for to go home, just like a cat or a woman or anybody else would what was in trouble. And it wasn't many minutes before she was gone up the path to her own door, Meanwhile, when Dan had reached the cabin, he had hid himself in a bunch of jimson weeds in the yard. He hadn't waited long before he see the black cat run up the path towards the door. Just as soon as she got close to him, he leapt out and catched her by the throat, and got a grip on her, just like the conjurer had told him to do. And lo and behold, no sooner had the blood commenced to flow, than the black cat turned back to Mahaley, and Dan see that he had killed his own wife. And whilst her breath was gone, she called out, "Oh Dan, oh my husband, come and help me! Come and save me from this wolf was killing me." When Po Dan started towards her, as any man naturally would, it just made her holler worse and worse, for she didn't know this here wolf was her Dan, and Dan just had to hide in the weeds and grit his teeth and hold himself in till she passed out in her misery, calling for Dan to the last and wondering why he didn't come and help her. And Dan lowed to hisself he'd rather been killed a dozen times than to done what he had to Mahaley. Dan was mighty nigh distracted, but when Mahaley was dead and he got his mind straightened out a little, it didn't take him more than a minute or so for to see through all the conjurman's lies and how the conjurman had fooled him and made him kill Mahaley for to get even with him for killing her his son. He kept getting madder and madder, and Mahaley hadn't much more than draw the last breath before he started back to the conjurman's cabin hard as he could run. When he got there, the door was standing open. A lighted knot was flicking on the hearth, and old conjurman was sitting there nodding in the corner. Dan leapt in the door and jumped for this man's throat and got the same grip on him what the conjurman had told him about half-hour before. It was hard work this time, but the old man's neck was monstrous tough and stringy, but Dan held on long enough to be sure his job was done right, and even then he didn't hold on long enough, for when he turned the conjurman loose and he fell over on the floor, the conjurman rolled his eyes at Dan and says he, "I's even with you, brother Dan, and you are even with me. You killed my son, and I killed your woman, and as I don't want no more than what's fair about this thing." If you'll retch up with your paw, and take down that gourd hangin' on that peg over the chimney and take a sip of that mixture, it'll turn you back to a nigger again and I can die most satisfied and if I left you like you is. Dan never allowed for a minute that a man would lie with his last breath and cause he seed the sense of getting turned back before the conjurman died so he clumb on a chair and wretched for the guard and took a sip of the mixtry and as soon as he done that, the conjure man laughed his last laugh and gasped out with his last gaps. Uh-huh. I reckon I square with you now for killing me too, but that goof on you is done fixin' sot now for good, and all the conjur in the world won't never take it off. Wolf you is and woof you stays, all the rest of your born days. Course, brother Dan couldn't do nothin'. He knowed it wasn't no use, but it clumbed up on the chimney and got down the gourds and bottles and other conjure fixins, and tried em all on itself, but it didn't do no good. Then he run down to old Aunt Peggy, but she didn't know the wolf language, and couldn't a took off this other goofer nohow, even if she'd a understood what Dan was saying. So Po Dan was bleached to be a wolf all the rest of his bone days. They found Mahaley down by her own cabin next mornin' and everybody made a great moration about how she'd been killed. The niggers lied a woofed bit The white folks say no, they ain't been no wolves round there for ten years or more, and they didn't know what to make out of it. And when they couldn't find Dan nowhere, they loud he'd quarreled with Mahaley and killed her and run away, and they didn't know what to make of that, for Dan and Mahaley was the most loving couple on the plantation. They put the dogs on Dan's scent, and track him down to old uncle jube's cabin and found old man dead and they didn't know what to make it at and then dan sent gun out and they didn't know what to make it at mars dougal took on a heap bout losing two of his best hands in one day and old mrs loud it was a judgment on him for something he'd done but that fall the crops was monstrous big so mars dougal say the lord had tempered the wind to the Shone ram and make up to him for what he had lost they buried Mahaley down in that piece of low ground you were talking about clearing up. As for Po Dan, he didn't have nowhere else to go, so he just stayed round Mahaley's grave when he wasn't out in the other woods getting something to eat. And sometimes when night would come, the niggers used to hear him howlin' and howlin' down there, just fittin' to break his heat. And then some more of them said they seed Mahaley's haunt there abundance at times, collogin' with this gray wolf. And even now, Fifty years since, long after old Dan is died and dried up in the woods, his haunt, and Mahaley's hangs round that piece of low ground, and everybody what goes bout there has some bad luck or another, for ha'nts don't lack to be disturbed on their own stomping ground. The air had darkened while the old man related this harrowing tale. The rising wind whistled around the eaves, slammed the loose window-shutters, and still increasing drove the rain and fiercer gusts into the piazza as julius finished his story and we rose to seek shelter within doors the blast caught the angle of some chimney or gable in the rear of the house and bore to our ears a long wailing note an epitome as it were of remorse and hopelessness that's just like Po old dan used to howl observed julius as he reached for his umbrella "'and what I've been telling you is the reason I don't like to see that neck of woods cleared up. cause it belongs to you, and a man can do as he choose with his own. "'But if you gets rheumatiz, or fever and auger, "'or if you're a snake-bit, or poison with some yerb or another, "'or if a tree falls on you, or a haunt runs you, "'and makes you get stracted in your mind like some folks I knows "'what went fooling round that piece of land, "'you can't say I never warned you, sir.' and told you what you might look for, and be sure to find. When I cleared up the land in question, which was not until the following year, I recalled the story Julius had told us, and looked in vain for a sunken grave, or perhaps a few weather-bleached bones of some denizen of the forest. I cannot say, of course, that some one had not been buried there, but if so, the hand of time had long since removed any evidence of the fact. If some lone wolf, the last of his pack, had once made his den there, his bones had long since crumbled into dust and gone to fertilize the rank vegetation that formed the undergrowth of this wild spot. I did find, however, a bee-tree in the woods, with an ample cavity in its trunk, and an opening through which convenient access could be had to the stores of honey within. I have reason to believe that ever since I had bought the place, and for many years before, Julius had been getting honey from this tree. The gray wolf's haunt had doubtless proved useful in keeping off two inquisitive people who might have interfered with his monopoly. End of the Gray Wolf's Haunt Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista